Namaste. So, as we know, the Upanishads are taken out from the knowledge portion of the Vedas primarily. The Vedas are a beautiful synthesis of works and knowledge and worship, prayer, love. Though the highest mystery of love we find only when the avatar of the Dwapar comes and reveals it to us. The Upanishads take out the knowledge portion, the wisdom portions and it touches upon some of the most important questions of existence. Sometimes uh, there is a tendency to believe Upanishads are ancient scriptures. I personally feel that they are timeless scriptures. They as much relate to the present and also to the future because they provide for us the firm foundation on which any future life can be built. Without this firm foundation, whatever we build will be subject to collapse. So Upanishads take up as the subject of their inquiry some of these most fundamental questions which are not taught in schools, not in colleges, nowhere. And this question is beautifully explained in one of the stories where Narad, who is the sage, celestial sage, who has mastered 64 types of learnings, vidyas, and he still cannot be completely at peace and the joy within is missing. Something is missing. And he meets the sage Sanat Kumar who asks him that, well, why do you look the way you look? And he says, see, so much I have learned, but to what avail? Uh, still something is missing. Can you tell me what is missing? And he, the sage says, yes, they have taught you so many things. You have learned the 64 arts and sciences of life. Have you learned that knowing which all else can be known? So this is a new subject, never taught in school and college. So Narad says, no, what is that? And the sage reveals to him that is Brahma Gyan, Brahma Vidya. So in ancient India, uh, there was highest importance given to this Brahma Vidya. Uh, Brahma Vidya, um, Brahma is a word, but essentially means the foundation on which the entire creation stands. So unless we know the foundation, we are standing on shaky Shifting grounds of consciousness. And therefore, this was the highest uh, knowledge. And those who had this highest knowledge were the most revered. It was not somebody with a university degree. One may have a university degree and yet not have Brahma Vidya. For Brahma Vidya, one had to go to a realized master. That's how the schools, ashramas came up. And in the Upanishadic time, there's something very interesting. We don't see religions the way we understand today, not at all organized religions. There is no head priest, there is no pope and then cardinals and all this paraphernalia is absent. Thank God. But what is present is that they were realized beings to whom people went, seekers went and these realized beings transmitted this knowledge to them if they felt that the person is ready. So, there is this, for example, this interesting story where six, the sages, some of the sages, they already know students who are seekers. They go to Rishi Pippalad, Prashnupanishad, and they say that we want to know, we have 
these burning questions in our mind what is this question what is life what is man what is the goal what is knowledge all these kind of questions summarize who is the godhead whom we must worship some say it is agni some say it is vayu so the rishi before even hearing the questions he says do one thing i'll listen to your questions but there is a condition what is the condition you stay in this ashram for six, for one year and practice tapas and brahmacharya brahmacharya was purity of conduct wherein one is focused on the eternal that's what brahmacharya in short is that action that deed thought feelings which are taking you connecting you to the eternal and practice tapas tapas is concentrated energy of spiritual endeavor so if after one year you ask your questions and then the rishi says if i know them i'll share it with you <laughs> look at the humility of the master if i know them i'll share it with you so this was the way the upanishads came into existence literally it means two things sitting at the feet of the master or going into the heart of the inner knowledge the true knowledge which exists within us so what are the main subjects that they take up what do we need to synthesize today we see a very div- divided existence we are born and uh, everything is separate the only thing we know is uh, mama and apart from mama the whole world is alien that's why children around 5 months 6 months 9 months they start experiencing stranger anxiety they feel things are coming and they will vanish forever so if the mama is away for a short while they feel that the mama is gone forever it's only when the ma- mama comes goes after some time they they know that okay well uh, she goes and she comes back again and as we grow up we reinforce this divided existence by virtue of our uh, you know various batches that we wear the batches of our surname the batches of our education qualification the batches of our position etc etc and at the end of the day or through the entire schooling process we have forgotten who we are why we have come we have become like a machine who has to uh, fulfill the dreams and ambitions of our parents of society and we have to fit into that mold so what we have forgotten is who we are and why we have come this is something which we have forgotten and it's here that uh, upanishads raise this question the one of some of the most fundamental questions who am i so and it answers in various ways for instance uh, in brihadaranikil say am brahmasmi i am one with the great self so one of the greatest discoveries ever made in this universe in this world is that the creator is one with the creation is imminent within it this discovery has uh, momentous significances the creator is not somebody who is hanging up there in cloud nine sitting there and governing this world in absentia he is present he is present in creation in every element every particle of creation look at the ishupanishad starts like that ishavasyam idam sarvam everything yat kinchu jagatyam jagat everything that is an individual motion within the universe in each atom of existence is there not today with this um, hyper practical mcdonald culture where we want everything quick we, we what is the use of knowing all this let me first get my uh, fill of money well we'll have full pockets and an empty heart full of fear full of uncertainties because we don't know this foundation that who am i 
Obviously, if I am the body, this is a perishable thing. And if I am attached to the body, I will suffer. This is this doesn't require much reflection. But what about my personality? Well, even the personality is ever changing from morning till evening. We change so many times in our thoughts and feelings. What people see us and think that this is what we are is only a small fragment. And there is a vast space within with a whole jostle of thoughts, feelings, impulses arising from who knows where. So there is another Upanishad, the Kain Upanishad starts with this question. What sets the thought on its errand to its mark? <laughs> Look at the starting point. I don't know of any psychology textbook or I mean, I can say this as a psychiatrist because people often ask, Sir, what textbook is good for studying psychology? So I don't use the word Indian or Western. I, I tell them because there is only one psychology and I'm proud to say Indian psychology. All the rest is just, you know, ABC and um, maybe a strong word, but bogus humbug. So if you really want to understand psychology, read the Upanishads. Uh, read the Mahabharata. That's where true psychology. Now imagine, where does thought originate from? Have we ever raised this question to ourselves? We think we flow in thoughts. And worse still, we say it's my thought. Where does thought come from? And we see the great Vakya of the Kenopanishad. That it comes from a region beyond thought. What itself is thought? What is thought? Thought is a vibration. And if we look at the order in which it is described, it starts with speech, then it goes to this life and then it goes to mind and then it goes to that which is beyond the mind. So it traces the whole thing and why speech? Because speech is, um, actually what is speech? Speech is vibrations given a form. <laughs> Whether you uh, have this language or that language, it's the vibration. Where does the vibration originate? It originates in the heart. If we really see it touches that point. Where does it come from? It comes from something high enough. And what happens? As it comes down, it gets distorted within the human consciousness. Then it touches something within. Then it takes the form of word. Sound first and then word. So nature has devised all these apparatus, equipment. And what is the purpose of it? To express that which is beyond the mind. Something so beautiful. It gives immediately a meaning and purpose to life. Why are we here? We are not here to become this or that. It could be this or that. It could be none of these things. You know, like that famous uh, thing in Siddhartha, the novel Harman Hesse. He says, what, what, uh, what do you know? Uh, so he says, I can think, I can meditate, I can eat. <laughs> so, <laughs> or I can stay hungry, something like this. So this is something very interesting. That to understand thought, which, which is so important in our everyday life, the power of thought, the power of speech, all these suggestions are contained in one small Upanishad. And what does it tell us? That, well, thought itself comes from a region much beyond speech. The speech cannot utter it, the speech cannot reach there, the mind cannot know it, and yet it is not unknowable. It can be known. It can be known when you transcend thought. It's it explains this in very cryptic verses. So the whole idea was to go beyond thought so that you can go to that core original vibration. And what, what does one meet when one tries to go beyond thought? Even the highest um, level that the mind can attain, 
you meet the divine mother that's the first star of creation uma hempati we have this so such a beautiful story victory of the gods again on where is the battle being fought on whom do they get the victory it's not like in television show where we see in cloud 9 the battle is going on between gods and demons well that's true of the cosmic existence but the gods are equally engaged in the battle within us what happens when they win when they win it means a human being is capable of god like functions his speech assumes a god like function his mind and thoughts assume a god like uh, inpourings of knowledge and wisdom it means that his feelings are different they are changed his very nerves nervous system his very senses are quickened they undergo a kind of transmutation so this is how the gods attain a victory but they mustn't forget that this victory is not for them see this is the difference between greek thought and indian thought in greek thought there is a kind of all these gods are there and these gods are you know busy uh building man so the same concept of sacrifices there where man sacrifices to the gods and the gods increase through the human sacrifice and in turn they return they give a return gift to man uh, now you know this is very interesting because we give to the gods what we have and the gods give to us what they can give so and we grow but this growth is not just so that you know we become a vibhuti of one god or one aspect of the divine this is something very interesting upanishads bring this new dimension which we find missing in the greek uh, you know uh, pagan thought where you have many gods but where do these gods come from so it reveals to us that they are the various powers of the eternal and these powers are at once beings cosmic beings cosmic energies cosmic forces they are working everywhere in creation wherever there is this task of preservation even if we look in the atom so in atom we have all these three things there is the creation the birth of the electron it would be something very interesting to study as a phenomena <laughs> then the atom has to the balance has to be maintained so we have the static energy we have the kinetic energy and we have this you know something which keeps disintegrating and recreating itself so all brahma vishnu and mahesh are active in the atom not only there everywhere but the focus of the upanishads is primarily within man so man because he is a part creator so that's how the whole thing starts and then we understand the power of word and speech because brahma creates this universe by word so speech can be creative how it can be creative very simple leave aside the philosophical speculation what happens when we speak we are describing a scene supposing i describe that you know samadhi is like this and so what am i doing in the mind of the listener i am creating an image speech is creative we didn't know this that speech creates speech destroys what a powerful why speech even sound can create and sound can destroy so the upanishads speak of the primal sound meditating upon which one can realize the eternal what is that sound we see in the mandukya upanishad svetashvatar upanishad when they speak about the path what is it on which we must uh, you know meditate upon it says we must meditate upon om can there be anything more secular whoever said that om is not secular om is something which is the most universal and what is om it's a vibration it's a stir 
But it's not just a stir, it's the original stir of creation. It's Pusa with the all-creating consciousness of the divine. Mother said so beautifully, it's the signature of the Lord. And then they reconcile. So Om has created this whole universe. So if we can really get at that, now there are two ways of getting at that and that again we see in um, these two different Upanishads. One is where we meditate upon the three syllables of the Om, then the three texts of the Vedas, Yajur Veda, Sam Veda, Rig Veda. But other is where we experience the Supreme in its totality. And this was the whole idea of the Upanishads, that how to reconcile the Creator with creation. So one way it is reconciled is that Creator has entered into creation, first with the agency of the gods who are cosmic powers, and taking hold of the gods, zigzag of the gods, like we see in the Vedas, we can arrive at the Supreme. Cosmic gods. We have Indra, we have Vayu, we have Agni, we have Rudra, and each of these gods have specific functions. But there is another way. And the other way is that the divine is not only entered into creation through the gods. He has become imminent into creation. So this also we find everywhere. He is dwelling inside as the indwelling universal. He is the self of every creature. But it is given to man to discover this self within. This self within which is one with the universal self. If at all the world will ever discover a way to have true brotherhood, it will not be on the basis of those religions which declare that if you follow my God, then you are a brother. If not, you are an infidel worthy of being killed. This is just impossible if anyone is trying it. Nor can it be done on the basis of an ideology which declares man is a social animal and therefore we are all equal. Worst of all, it can be created by this extreme materialistic thought that sabka khun ek hai. By the way, nahi hai. Even biologically, there are four blood group types. You know, That's a different thing altogether. Everything in nature represents something or the other. But there is the basis of oneness which is within us. And that's the subject of the Upanishad. There is the source, the origin. And that is within us. And it's not only within us, it's in all existence. If we discover it, we go beyond all divide between religion, religious and secular. We discover that one self which is in all beings. It's not only in me. It's not only in religious people. It's even in the atheist. It's even in those who are seemingly contradicting the divine plan. That's what Sri sees. Vasudevam Sarvamiti where he sees that not only in the lawyer who is speaking on his behalf. But even in the lawyer who is... Uh, trying to convict Shurabindo. So, Sri Krishna reveals to him, look here, I am everywhere and in everything. And how does it work? He fulfills a grand purpose. There is a grand narrative. A, a greater plan than our little life. So, how are we to find that? This greater self. This to the Upanishads declare us so beautifully. For instance, one thing which is very clear if we read the Upanishads is that if we remain if we make the transient things as the object of our life, as our aim, we can forget about this great self. It stands behind. It is the master. This game is a shadow game. But if this is what we want, in all the Upanishads, this is a common theme. That if particularly in the Kenupanishads comes very boldly, 
यन मनसा न मनुते ये ना हुर मनोमतंग तदेव ब्रह्मत्वम विद्धि नेदम यदि दम उपासते इफ यू आर डूइंग उपासना वर्शिपिंग दीस ट्रांसजेंट ऑब्जेक्ट यू कैन वर्शिप द पॉलिटिशियंस द पुलिसमैन द लॉयर द डॉक्टर एंड मे बी दे विल बी हैप्पी और नॉट हैप्पी आई डोंट नो अबाउट पॉलिटिशियंस एंड पुलिसमैन वेरी डेंजरस टू हैव फ्रेंडशिप और एनिमिटी विद देम डॉक्टर्स यस आर डिसेंट पीपल एटलीस्ट यू नो होपफुली Lawyers also are okay, but the point is, and priest, of course. So all these people, priest also nowadays, you need to have a priest on your list because you know he is very helpful in conducting all the affairs. So this is one approach. We may go even to God. We can go to a chapel. We can go to a church. We can go to a mosque. We can go to uh, a temple. Doesn't matter. But if we go there with the object of wanting transient things, then our life will be full of suffering. This is a great declaration of the Upanishad. Want to be cured of suffering? Okay, go to a psychiatrist. He will analyze you till you forget who you are, why you came. After some time, you okay, दवाई दे दीजिए prescription because that's how life is. That's the teaching in the Western world that you know it's all either chemicals in the brain. or a very complicated analysis of your life whereas life is very very simple straight direct and that simple straight direct answer is the one find the one if you don't find the one take medicine do everything it will be temporary remedy if you are attached to transient things we will be prone to suffering there is a very beautiful letter of shirobindo he says you know people say oh somebody is suffering because of karma because somebody did a bad thing etc etc this good bad upanishad takes us beyond the righteous and the unrighteous as one of the upanishad puts it it takes us way beyond that so why do we then suffer is it because i am a bad guy because god is angry with me <laughs> no he says blows do not fall only on you they come to all human beings because they are attached to things that are in their very nature transient and they cannot last so at some point suffering is bound to come even when the object is there the thing which we desired through that object will not last that's what happens all stories in indian cinemas used to begin with you know two people falling in love romance not love actually at getting attracted to each other and the story would end with marriage probably with a tagline and they lived happily married ever after so that people can nurture a dream <laughs> so, but the secret of happy marriage is not this bond to the body it's not based on a human personality it's not based on speech it's not even based on duty duty can be very insipid after some time one is unhappy but says okay this is social it's based on something much deeper and that deeper bond can only be that the self in she and the self in me are one and even though it's the same self in the whole universe this has arranged as life has arranged me that we come together as very beautifully you know yagnwal the author of the ishopanishad he describes one does not love the wife for the sake of the wife but for the sake of the self one does not love the child for the sake of the child but for the sake of the self one does not love the country for the sake of the country but for the sake of the self we could multiply one does not love the job for the sake of the job but for the sake of the self but what it means is as is our self 
so is the life and its quality we lead. If the self is small, ego self, haunted by desires, then life will be a perpetual nightmare with some sweet dream messages. You know, like people send a message, text them, sweet dreams, and the fellow has a nightmare <laughs> the whole night. <laughs> so, I wish it was as simple as that, you know, sweet dreams and you have a beautiful dream. Life moves between these because we have not found the real, real key. <laughs> so, when we base a relationship based on that, see, they are giving us the secret, a relationship based on the bodily self, a relationship based on just the intellectual self, on the mental personality, on temporary personality, worst of all on wealth and whether you are an NRI and what's your bank balance is the worst kind of relationship, it won't last beyond a day, I can tell you. Because if somebody is eyeing on your ATM card and the man on the physical um, looks, then be sure that sooner or later wrinkles will catch up. The sweet voice will turn into a harsh voice, depending on the situation and circumstance. And life will go for a six. But when we root it in the depths of the oneself, then one loves the wife because she too is a manifestation of the same oneself. Then all these things about caste, creed become so much in the background. All these outer distinction. What is important is the oneself. And therefore one loves the person not because of one's own little egoistic interest, but because she is none else but myself in another body. This is the great realization. And see the practical implications of this. But the Upanishads, so this is in practice. It's not just an inner meditation. Of course, it speaks about inner meditation that there are the doors through which uh, the self gazes outwards. It very beautifully, in fact, describes uh, as a cryptic question. We often speak about the Sphinx. See the well-known story of the Sphinx. Who is that creature who walks on, uh, you know, four legs uh, in the morning and uh, two legs in the afternoon and three in the night? Man. And this we all know. Upanishad asks this question in a very, very wonderful way and gives the answer which is most beautiful. The question is, who is that who has 16 parts? Somebody with 16 members. Now, Brahma is described as having 16 members. But it is equally man with his five karma indriyas, five jnana indriyas. And five Mahabhuts and the self. So it is man. So it declares. Now look at the image. What does it say? Man, at the same time it describes not the physical function that he crawls and walks on two and uh, is on a stick on three. But describes what is the totality of man. But also discovers, uh, dis declares very boldly and should be emphasized upon this in, in a whole writing. That such was the potential of man that the Upanishadic Rishi saw that they declare he is that, that Purusha, he and I are one. So we see the 16 members which is Brahma and the 16 members which is man. He is one with the creator. Man is in fact a part creator. Knowingly, unknowingly, he may pass the blame to the creator but he is given faculties, he is given capacities, even his imagination if we look at this world, he is a part creator, artisan of his fate. Now the moment we understand this, now that is true empowerment. 
Empowerment is not about giving a position and a big job and money and worst of all that if you get converted, I'll give you money. This is not empowerment. This is empowerishment. You are pauperizing people of their energies. What is empowerment? You are the creator of your fate. How can we do that, sir? Discover the creator within you. Who is the creator, sir? He is not just cut away and aloof from you. He is imminent in the entire universe. It is He who shines in the stars, in the sun. It is He who is resplendent and sweet and, um, you know, in the night, dripping with soma. It is He who points the paths as the stars. It is He who walks near you in the crippled and the beautiful. It is He who, who babbles in the child and utters the words of wisdom in the sage. Okay, so what shall I do? He says, still further, He is in you. He is you. What a reassuring thing. And what profound practical implication. At least I have found this extremely liberating and extremely practical. Whenever I have experienced distress in life, all that I remind myself is the Divine Mother is with me and she is in me. I am a portion of her and I have seen magics. Miracles happen. Miracles of the most, you know, you don't have to believe in somebody sitting out there and saying, you know, hallelujah, no. <laughs> you don't have to go anywhere. Even in that circumstance, when there is dense darkness, you can't find a way. All that is needed is not to keep on, oh, I can't find a way, I don't know what will happen, how, how it will happen. That's the usual way. What it, what it does is it increases the difficulties because we are giving too much attention to the problem. Probably we are anticipating a future which may never happen. Worse still, when you have half-baked counsels, a friend ko phone laga lete, phone a friend. You talk to you, I am having this problem. Now, friend has gone through, if you say, I am having a problem of relationship. Now, the friend is very unhappy with his wife or husband. He says, Chordo, divorce, simplest solution. Why? Because friend, <laughs> friend has gone through this. Or it could be the other way. It may work either ways. Because friend is living in ignorance, bodily counsel. So what does the Upanishad tell us? Don't worry about this, that, hundred things in life. Focus on one thing and that is the eternal. Don't focus on the transient. Sir, will it solve my problem? That is the only thing which will solve your problem. Because he is not just a impartial witness to our joys and bail. He is also the awakening ray that touches this soil and brings everything to beauty and takes it towards perfection. Tasmin napo matari swadadhati. He is the origin of all these streams and currents of life that flow into creation. He is the breath of our breath. See, so many practices come out of it. By breath, we can Control the mind. Through the breath we can ascend. Why this breath is only an outer manifestation of the universal prana. And what is this universal prana? It is the shakti which is dancing in this creation. Who am I? My breath, my life. It's a portion of that breath. And when we remember it, that my life is nothing but one wave of that infinite shakti. Is the wave different from the ocean? It is not. It's one mode of expression of the ocean. It automatically gives us the clue how to connect oneness and multiplicity. Eko bahunam yo vidadati kaman. 
the one desired to become many. So what is the way to find him? Tamatmastham Kathopnisha. Tamatmastham Yenu Pashanti Dhira. Stesham Sukham Shashvati Nitresham. Be patient. It's a long journey, but strive to find the one. When you find, then life is beautiful. Be patient. It's a long journey. So, but what do we see all these limited forms? It is he who has become. Agniriyathaiko bhuvnam pravishto. It enters. How this world is built by Agni. The energy which has gone into baking forms at every level. So, he jatvedas. He knows all the forms. And then these forms are animated by the breath of life. As the force that governs them. And then of course, Indra comes as the power of mind. But this is a small little mold. It has a greater destiny. The gods are hidden inside. That's what the Upanishad will tell us. All the gods, when they saw the human form, they said, this is wonderful. So they plunged and they are working within us to awaken us. Take us to that great Godhead from whom we have emerged. How should we live our life? This is a beautiful image. Or even before that, where is he to be found? He is within us, but where? In the head, that's what we all think, everything is in the head. Head, yes, contains something, but you have to open the head to find that something. <laughs> but he is still closer. Closest in us is the heart. That's why whenever a person says, who am I? So the instinctively the hand goes, I am. I am this so and so. Nobody says, I am this. If you do this, then people think you are cursing your fate. <laughs> Nobody points at the stomach and says, I am this. Not even the sumo wrestlers who derive all their energy from the abdomen. Who are you? I am Mr. So-and-so. First I am, then Mr. So-and-so. And who is this I? This is within the heart. So it says, focus into the heart. When young Nachiketa, look at what kind of... I mean, I feel so happy and proud that, you know, I, I inherit that quest. Where children were asking questions and... They are reprimanding his father. Today we are having those children now come. Many Nachiketas in, you know, so many homes. Dad, if it was modern context, Dad, you are giving the cows and all this to the different gods. Don't you see that you are giving all these cows which are lost their, you know, functions? They can't give milk. You are giving that kind of stuff. Is this really a good... Good thing to do and the father father gets angry. He says he's quiet, controlling his anger, he's performing a sacrifice. But child, see, it's also a parallel between the old self and the child is the soul in man. So he says, Okay, whom are you giving to me? It's a very symbolic story also. I give you to death. Okay, father, I see you then. Goes to death. And there he asks the secret. There again we have the same secret. So death comes and says, I'll give you plenty of things. What do you want in life? I'll make you the president of America. He said, my God, that you don't make me. I'll prefer a common man in India. That is the worst thing to become. You are Mr. Nobody and everybody only on paper. But you are the most powerless fellow, you know. So sir, what do you want? I'll give you Army and women and happiness, wealth, everything. 
the choice look at how it explains choices we often you know say we have to make a choice choose between this and that i had a you know after during my fmc after the fmc when we went for the post graduation exam in fmc so one of our um, fellow mates he was sitting with all complex you know so he says i asked him kya ho gaya tujhe kya why are you looking so says, i don't know what to choose i said means is i have a choice between both are good subjects i <laughs> what do i choose i said you don't know what you want in life just because you have got two subject therefore you are making a choice your choice could be something which may not be seemingly the good subject and yet it may be your choice that my choice was based on that i was getting all the subject but i said no i want psychiatry ignorantly believing that psychiatry and yoga will go together the first thing i was told if you want to be in the department don't talk about yoga god and all these things <laughs> i said okay <laughs> always naughty fellow i said okay i'll not talk so i put my thesis as effect of yoga on, <laughs> on smokers he said why are you doing this i said thesis okay but i don't know anything about yoga my guide told me i said sir don't worry i'll that part i'll collect <laughs> data you'll collect yes of course by yoga they meant asana but i said i have got a <laughs> chance to enter into <laughs> so this is the kind of education the upanishad calls it the lower knowledge we read the you know mundaka upanishad this is this is the lower knowledge even the subject of the three vedas is the lower knowledge meaning thereby there is a essence it's not that the vedas themselves are lower knowledge but if we can study them as a lower knowledge we can just read them outwardly superficial meanings turn it into a karmakand ritualistic understanding but within it the kernel is the higher knowledge and that's what the upanishad try to bring out what is that higher knowledge which is hidden inside the vedas but of course it was at a big price that's a different thing altogether the price was that we lost a certain degree of integrality which we find in the vedas over a period of time when monism took over and you know illusionism took over and we lost the real meaning of the vedas but not originally originally they are very much world affirming life affirming kurvan nevehe karmani live for 100 years doing verily works in the world this is the affirmation the doubters and those who live in gloom depressed they go to sunless worlds worlds of gloom they come to perdition and live with this great truth that all this is none else but the one expressing himself in countless ways so that's that's the great power so nachiketa is given this choice nachiketa knows what he wants this is the sign this in one word sincerity you have the entire world see this is the difference between asuras and devas or human beings who are truly doing tapasya devas don't do tapasya you don't asuras have to do tapasya because they can they need to get converted human beings engage in tapasya because they have to go they, their abode is the highest so nachiketa is asked make your choice you have on one side all the great things in the world and one side on the other side the one self that truth he says i want that self the immortal why he want the immortal not by so that he can shun it because then only all the rest is value and that's what is revealed by the next thing that um, yama says because he says all that you are going to give me is perishable product now based on this see we can derive a meaning that's all about transientness of the world and permanent seeking beyond but the action that yama does next is something very interesting he takes a necklace 
and gives it to Nachiketa. He says, this I am giving you gratis. He didn't ask for the necklace. He said, I am giving you gratis. Because you have chosen wisely. Now what is this necklace? Many beats, its nature with it, all its many, many forces and powers. He who finds the self, finds everything. Yasmin vikyate vikyati sarvam. Knowing the self, we can know everything. It is the root of all knowledge, seed of all knowledge. And we can equally say when we discover that power, that glory within, then there is nothing which is impossible or within the reach of man. That's how these great rishis, when we read about their stories, they could create such things. I mean, an annex of a heaven, Vishwamitra creates for Trishanku. Okay, gods are not allowing you admittance. They have a point, I see. But I am also Vishwamitra, no less than the gods. I'll create a heaven for you. So he creates an annex by the power of thought. It can be done. What does it mean? People say, oh, this is a fantastic story. It's an everyday life story. By the power of tapas, we can create an atmosphere for ourselves. Even in heaven, by just the power of thought, by tapas, and we can live in that even when everything outside is, you know, dark and opposite. That's what it means. Vishwamitra did it through ultimately taking his tapas to a level where even probably after death or with the body, he could dwell. But that's the secret of this story. That we can create, we are part creators, but instead of taking help from Vishwamitra, we ourselves can create. In fact, we create hell, we create heaven. So this is where we have these wonderful tales and then it gives the path that he is hidden in the heart. Repeatedly it comes. This is Aditi. You want immortality because he wants the secret of immortality. And look at how Upanishad places man above the gods. Gods know it not. Gods cannot catch him. He is ever faster. That's how the Isha Upanishad says. Gods know him not. Kain Upanishad. Kat Upanishad. Gods do not know this secret. Everywhere. Gods have a work. But there is a secret, the greatest secret, which only human beings can attain. Why they can attain? Because they carry within them Angusht Matra Purusha. Antaha Sharire Jyotir Mayohi Shupra. Vidyanti Hridgranti Chidyanti Sarvasanseya. When the heart strings are rent asunder, then we discover the self. And then we understand not only the great mystery, but what is this work, what is this body. So it gives a very interesting image. And the image is of Rath. We see that famous image in, you know, Shravindos, that Karmi Yogi, this Rath with Sri Krishna and Arjuna. This is an image imprinted in the human mind. And even if we were to um, forget all else, this image is so deeply imprinted. <laughs> <laughs> the only image I remember when I had read the Gita, this image, <laughs> Shri Krishna, Arjuna, he is holding the reins. What a beautiful image it is. There are the senses which carry us here and there. But somebody has to rein the senses. The senses are the horses. The mind is the rein. But rein has to be held by someone. Mind was always regarded as the sixth sense and the sixth, uh, you know, faculty of action. So it was the sixth. In fact, in a certain sense, the eleventh. If we look at the five senses and the five powers of action, uh, panch karmendriya, then it's the eleventh sense. So, what is 
it to be held by the buddhi so where will the buddhi know what it must do it must open to a still greater self then it will know otherwise buddhi is there in everybody but it's durbuddhi it is used to justify oneself everybody has some buddhi or the other man needs to justify himself this is unique about man tiger doesn't you ask a tiger why you killed the deer he'll say i was hungry don't you think you have done something bad he'll say okay you will wait here for one more day i'm going to kill you that's all because tiger is not given that he is driven by the sense it's animal life asana mrityu but man has all these things so the body is the rath where will your body go where will the bodily life secret of healthy living forget about cholesterol blood sugar and all these things and actually why does all this happen today we are talking about environment and you know man is polluting doing this what is the source of it one word greed where is greed where does it reside in what space within our subjective spaces so the senses to be controlled by the mind mind by the buddhi buddhi by the greater self and greater than the greater self is that so this was the way they built a wonderful bridge between the unknowable and that which is the object of the senses the gita will use this image later on to make it so clear so this way they bridged the material world and the supreme the creator and creation but not forgetting last but not the least so this bridge in creation is by the gods who has created all this material world they are functioning everywhere they are there is the great horse of the brihadarana kopnishad so everything or the purusha who has sacrificed himself and become all this but at the same time there is another bridge one is these cosmic forces there is another bridge and that is the individual human being it is given to man to become a bridge between the supreme self and this creation he is the bridge between the creator and the creation therefore he has a deed to do and that deed is even as the gods are engaged in upgrading this creation further and further taking it higher and higher first agni matter then vayu living beings then indra the mind leading right up to that similarly man can by discovering this great self within he can allow it now this is not exactly stated in so many words but it is implicit in the thought of the upanishad if he is one with the creator if he knows that he dwells in all beings he should wish to lead a life of 100 years doing verily works in the world whose works there is only one doer ishavasyam idam sarvam yatkinchit jagatyam jagat so why will he work he won't have tena taktein bhunjita he should not desire desireless action sir you are taking the joy away from me no then you will experience delight what does the upanishad declares what is the nature of god you see how different it is semitic conception of god sitting somebody stern judge with a carrot in one hand and a rod in the other and the carrot and the rod are at the mercy of what religion you have accepted formally or informally this is the judge we have painted he will wait when he will raise the dead and send them to heaven or eternal heaven or eternal damnation what is the god of the upanishad 
रसो वेरली ही इज डिलाइट एंड हाउ ब्यूटिफुल स्टेप बाई स्टेप इट अनवेल्स द मिस्ट्री दिसाइपल आज द मास्टर टेल मी अबाउट यू नो हाउ इट डिस्क्राइब्स डिफरेंट थिंग कट ए सीड इवेंचुअली वॉट इज इन साइड ही सीज आई सी नथिंग दैट इज कॉन्शियसनेस यू डोंट सी इट बिकॉज ऑफ इट द सीड्स एंड द जीन्स आर ऑल फंक्शनिंग द वे दे शुड फंक्शन दे डोंट गो क्रेजी दे डोंट गो बर्सक इट्स नॉट एक्सीडेंट एंड रैंडमनेस देर इज ए कॉन्शियसनेस विच इज वीविंग दिस होल यूनिवर्स एंड दिस कॉन्शियसनेस हैज इमर्ज फ्रॉम दैट ग्रेट बींग I don't want to use the image of the Upanishad, but it's like from the spider. The web is also created by him, and in that web, through that web, as a ladder of consciousness, we must climb up. And again, another kind of integration it brings through states of consciousness. At its origin, the supreme self. It is he who becomes the dream self. So he's not just that ultimate. state turiya he is also that sleep self where now what is the sleep self it is from that ultimate mystery something has entered is taken out held within that ultimate pragya wisdom before it is starts manifesting then there is the dream self sapnavastha in which all that was held a selection of it enters into the hiranyagarbha that shining golden purusha it takes all this keeps in his womb and out of that something will enter into the waking outer consciousness the virat so beautifully it's from there it even in our individual life one particular life is only a small selection of much that is held back within ask a person he will tell i dream of this i wanted this i wanted but eventually there is one small selection which is taken out to experience a vast truth is held back within and usually it takes long through the cycle of births in ignorance but if we discover this we move on evolution fast forward the unrealized dreams all that begins to express manifest what is no more necessary is taken away so this is how the whole you know evolutionary journey goes fast track so when we discover this self within we discover the basis of unity not by joining this and that on a common platform through an interfaith dialogue not at all but by discovering that behind all faiths even the most absurd thing if we may say so faith that there is no god even that is a faith because one has not really made a search so it is a faith when somebody says i don't believe in god yes that's your belief keep it with you if it helps you is there no hope for me no god is there he will show himself to you how how he will show himself as nihil who is nothing why because that's what you believe in so <laughs> a logical answer the gita will make it more explicit as is men's faith so yo yathamam prapadyante so this is how it reveals all the mysteries of life so faith is so important satya practice is so important why because satyam eva jayate nanitam satyena panthavitato devyana the gods have laid down the path based on truth is not about truth based on my court case truth this is a world of falsehood truth means first seat of truth is here in the depth of the heart to start with who i am i must know clearly 
then what is the choice of the soul? That is the next. This is the truth. And when we take this as the truth, then at the end, Satyamev Jayate Nanitam. There is no falsehood which can ever stand ultimately in the journey of the soul. Through a thousand battles, it will still be victorious because such is the way that the gods have laid out for man. So these are some of the, as I said, it's a very vast subject. But essentially it is integrating material life and the spiritual. There is a whole image. Now you see that image comes to me where you have the spirit as the male and the, uh, the Prashnupanishad where um, and the earth principle of matter is the female. So you have, you know, the union of spirit and matter and the whole Upanishad goes into entire and it goes up to revealing the secret of reproduction. I mean, you can draw all these things from there. So the masculine and the feminine principles and their union which creation seeks. Later on the Purana gives the image in the Shivalingam, the union of Shiva and Shakti and in Ramayana's story, the union of Rama and Shita. But they saw in matter the possibility of union with the spirit and matter is a condition for manifestation of the spirit. Where is the otherworldly approach where matter has to be rejected? When the great Upanishad declares that matter is a condition for the manifestation of the spirit, it is the one which breathes life into the spirit through all these various gods. So these are some of the thoughts in the Upanishads. So beautiful, so powerful. Even one of them can rescue mankind and give us the basis of unity. Not only between human beings and different religions, that's a, all a you know, uh, very small thing. But unity with all creatures. Yes, to Sarvani, Bhutani, Atme, Vabhud, Vijanata. He who knows all the becomings as the one self. It is the one self which has become all this. He is not just present in all of them. Of course he is present. I will close with one of these um, letters of Sri Aurobindo when he was asked in 1916. So why 1916 is important? Because the mother had not yet come finally. <laughs> so, so he was asked what is the best uh, idea to meditate upon. Then after an initial explanation he says, Well if you ask me, the best idea to meditate upon is the one, the one given in the Isha Upanishad, which he himself, you know, was practicing in the Alipur jail. And what is that? That the divine is in all beings. All beings are in the divine. And all is the divine. Before I leave, I must say, just try practicing it for 10 minutes. That all these trees, human beings, objects, all of them are none else but the Divine Mother who has assumed these forms. It not only liberates us but fills us with a deep compassion and love than what our human heart and mind can ever know. Om Namo Bhagwati Sri Arvindai Prakash Nayarji uh, thank you, sir. Very wonderful session. Uh, one question was, you said uh, the difference between Greek thought and the Indian thought. I didn't really get that. How, how was that? Difference between the great? Greek thought and the Indian thought. Ha, so Greek thought also believes in multiplicity of gods. 
and if you look at the gods they are very much like the puranic gods and they also had the idea of sacrifice wherein uh, you know of course later on it became sacrificing the um, just like in indian thought because we are primarily vegetarians it's gritam so they had the uh, calf the best uh, you know piece of meat to be sacrificed put in the fire so there are lot of similarities between greek thought and indian thought in terms of the gods and their functions what is missing is the one god in whom all are united so that is the beauty of it that's why people who are exposed to the greek thought and the ancient pagan thought cannot understand indian thought they think we are same as pagan and you know we believe in many gods because they miss out on this fundamental truth that all the gods are nothing else but the expressions of powers of the one this is missing this is a very crucial element so in greek thought i mean there were greek philosophers who you know spoke about the inner demon and things like that but this overarching formula of wisdom that is missing in the greek thought otherwise many things are there which are similar they believed in passage through uh, through the different worlds after death we call it baitarni they called it sticks and somebody will come the boatman will take you so all these things are there the burning the dah sanskar but they miss out on the one and that's the beauty of the upanishad that it brings into bold relief the presence of the supreme within man and man can directly come in contact with him he can even bypass the gods so to say though the gods will not bypass him by the very fact that he will aspire to become one with the supreme they are there to help man and arrive at that great consummation so this is the difference between the greek thought and indian thought in fact in general in many of the pagan thoughts which uh, pagan thought by the way is very nice i don't look at it depreciatory way as the modern monistic ki they worshiping in gods well it means that everything is sacred that's something very beautiful about paganism the river is sacred the mountain is sacred this is there very much in indian thought and so beautiful there are these gods who are behind everything as powers and aspects of the eternal which is beautiful the worst thing that ever happened to the western world was they destroyed paganism and they lost contact with the truth behind nature but in indian thought this is not exactly paganism because we do believe that all these gods are from the one and that one is beyond them so he is not just that they are different aspects he is beyond them so the gods cannot catch him that's where we find in you know the ishupanishad that uh, he is far near within outside and yet if you try to catch him you cannot catch him same thing in the kena upanishad that you cannot catch him so though the gods are powers and aspects of the one yet the one transcends them so gods belong to the cosmic domain and the one transcends them and then this is the individual this is the trilogy of the uh, upanishads which we find missing in greek thought yeah uh, thank yes. you so much uh, uh, sir i wanted to you mentioned you mentioned about uh, the presence of angushtamata presence of the uh, chaitya purusha or the psychic being and if i if i heard you correctly or maybe uh, please correct me if i'm wrong that the gods don't have it now can you just explain this uh, because i i have read somewhere uh, in what your arbindo or the mother have written that only human beings have the chaitya na Uh, have the psychic being now is it present in other things like other animals or uh, uh, plants and uh, uh, stones and gods and asuras i mean may i just know a little more about so it? we can we can look upon psychic being of course comes at the end of a long journey 
बट वी कैन लुक अपॉन इट एज द सोल एज एन इवोल्यूशनरी प्रिंसिपल इन क्रिएशन सो दैट एज एन इवोल्यूशनरी प्रिंसिपल इट इज फाउंड ओनली अपॉन आर्ट दैट्स हाउ द मदर पुट्स इट द कठोपनिषद हिंड सेट इट Because when he asks Nachiketa says I want the secret of immortality, he says you are asking something which even the gods don't know. So to that extent, yes, it hints that it is not uh, the gods don't are not privy to this truth, which resides in the heart of man, and it gives different names. Aditi, you can meditate upon the divine mother here. Aditi, the undivided consciousness, if you take it uh, literally, or you can you know meditate upon this this Angushtamat Purusha, which resides in the heart of man, and later another Upanishad. Swetashutar, which speaks about when you tear the heart, you know, strings are cut asunder, then all doubts vanish. So all this is given to man, because now what happens before that? There is an evolutionary principle, both as the cosmic evolutionary energy, which is the divine will in creation. So it is there in matter. So the entire Kundalini is about you know this divine will awakening. It's there in the story in the Rig Vedas, Brahma Jaya. But you know all that is a long <laughs> story. So just cut it short that there is the cosmic evolutionary principle which, assisted by the gods, as we see in the story, is taking things step by step out of matter. Life emerges out of life. Mind emerges. But there is also the individual evolutionary principle as the soul, which is a spark of the divine. and this two progresses so you know we have that image of the two birds dwa superna one who is eating the sweet bitter fruits and the other who is watching so there is within us something which eats the sweet bitter fruits and yet it grows keeps looking towards that ascension towards which it must go so this this soul element is the one which passes through the gates of death and birth see what powerful thing you know that rebirth is for evolution मृत्युम तीर्थवा विद्याम अमृतमुते यू एंजॉय इमोर्टैलिटी बाई बर्थ बट पासिंग थ्रू द गेट्स ऑफ डेथ यू डिस्ट्रॉय विद्या यू गो थ्रू ऑल दीज डिफरेंट स्टेट्स यू गो थ्रू डेथ एंड एवरी टाइम इट कम्स इट इवॉल्व सो द सोल इज द इवोल्यूशनरी प्रिंसिपल इन ह्यूमन बींग्स बिफोर ह्यूमन बींग्स दिस इवोल्यूशन इज ऑल हैपनिंग बाई द एजेंसीज ऑफ द कॉस्मिक पावर्स द गॉड्स सो इट दे आर इवन इन वेल एनिमल्स बट इन एनिमल्स इट्स नॉट इन इंडिविजुअल सोल इट्स द सोल ऑफ द स्पेसीज सो इट गवर्नस दैट स्पेसीज बट इन ह्यूमन बींग्स देर आर दीज पार्क विच आर रेडी नाउ फ्रॉम द एनिमल कॉन्शियसनेस टू जम्प इन टू मैन नाउ द मोमेंट इट एंटर्स मैन इट एंटर्स नॉट इमीजिएटली बट मे बी आफ्टर ए फ्यू बर्थ्स इन टू अ स्टेज वेर इट कैन कॉन्शियसली इवॉल्व दैट्स वेर इट you know people start seeking for yoga that's where we all you know come together to know the upanishads when today you know people must be doing holika bhang party so this itself is an indication that something else within us which seeks the real bhang not this but the real somaras the divine rasovesaha so it is this which emerges so as it grows eventually it becomes a conscious psychic being which means it becomes not only just an immortal spark within but a conscious immortal uh, individuality the true individuality with a psychic personality so now the image which started with the fire and the spark changes into the world mother in whose lap this child is sitting this is holika in reverse not that holika which wants to destroy prahlad but the divine mother 
holds the child in her lap ultimately it started with the fire the divine energy in matter and that little spark spark is one with the fire but it's also you know separate many of them but in human beings it can arrive at that point where we discover ourselves as part and parcel portion of the divine mother sitting in her lap right in the center of the heart so there is aditi there is the you know the angusht matra purusha the chaitya purusha and as a nave in a wheel spokes from here the entire uh, you know wheel of time is running or the wheel of dharma if you want to put it so this is how the image is there in animals but not as an individual entity but as soul of the species in human beings it begins to assume a conscious individuality not the ego individuality which is the frontal appearance but behind it the true spiritual individuality if i want to put it and uh, after a point this individuality becomes fully developed that's when we are free beings then we can either withdraw from creation or we can be in one of the higher planes or in shurbindo's yoga the possibility of coming back and fulfilling divine will in creation which is why creation has been made to multiply the delight of the divine many many fold in multiple ways